0: Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved.
1: Episode 628, air date May 23rd, 2020.
0: Okay, everyone, we're gonna start shortly with April Chandler. Um, we're gonna talk about the surveillance state. And let me just do one thing here. Okay, we'll start shortly. We're gonna start live on all media shortly. Um, let me see here. I just have to do one thing here. All right, I'm gonna start. All right, hello everyone. So we have people coming in from Hawaii, uh, Florida. We have people on, we have people coming in also from uh, Missouri, Vancouver, Australia, New York. Jen's putting all the different states up, Spain, uh, Hawaii, Texas, California. Anyway, as people are joining, um, we have uh, a special guest, April Chandler is gonna interview me and and we're gonna have a discourse on the surveillance state and really talk about technology and its influence on uh, someone from Singapore, Ireland, uh, Hungary, uh, Naples, Florida. We're gonna really have a conversation about technology and what it means. Um, You know, in the book, Climate of Science, I talk about this where there's two ways technology can go. It can lead to a golden age, or it can lead to a dark age. And it really depends on who's in control of that technology. And um, I think the conversation about first of all, understanding um, the purpose of a lot of these technologies and the underlying principles of how they operate will be very valuable. So I thought what I would do to begin is I have a you know, one of my books I wrote a couple of years ago, which won one of the small business book awards, is called The Future of Email, which discusses a history of the invention of email, which I did when I was a 14-year-old kid. But then it also talks about where email is at today and more digital technology. So I'll read you um, some of that, and that'll set the framework uh, for the discussion April and I are going to have on the surveillance state. And then uh, April also has some very deep insights to talk about um, what's happening, how this surveillance technology can actually be used to harm people, particularly our young people, our kids. So we're going to talk about that. But before I start, I typically like to share with everyone the fact that I am running for U.S. Senate. Some of you may know that there is a Senate election taking place in Massachusetts. And that election in Massachusetts is is an interesting one because um, typically people like myself are not supposed to run for U.S. Senate, which means uh, people actually create stuff, uh, engineers, entrepreneurs, but that in, is in fact what's taking place. Um, uh, by way of introduction, you know, I'm an MIT PhD in biological engineering. I'm an inventor and a scientist, and I'm running for Senate. I'm running as a Republican, but that does not mean, just to be clear, that I support the Republican establishment. Um, I do support the values of what Republicanism meant, which was essentially government should stay out of our way. It was supporting um, entrepreneurs, you know, innovation, people taking responsibility for their lives, you know, meritocracy, but that's not really what the Republican establishment is about. They actually work together with the Democratic establishment. So if you go to the website Shiva for Senate, uh, people can participate in many ways. Those of you who are out of the country or out of the state, uh, we have people volunteering, you know, out of the state, you can volunteer, you can go right up to the volunteer section right here, and you can really support the campaign. You can join the campaign if you're in other parts of Massachusetts or the country. We're giving away lawn signs and bumper stickers. Those of you uh, in other parts of the United States, you can order them. We have people from all over the country putting up our lawn signs. But these are all the places you can get our lawn signs. Tomorrow afternoon at 2 p.m., I'll actually be in Fitchburg uh, with the bus uh, where people can pick up. They can meet me and talk to me. Uh, But the other piece of it is one of the key things that I want to educate people on is the interconnections of systems. So if you notice the campaign goal here is truth, freedom and health. And the essence is without freedom, without the ability for us to move freely, have open discourse, we can't really practice science to get to truth. And without truth, we're always gonna create fake problems and fake solutions and then we'll never get to health. And without health, we're not gonna be strong enough to fight for freedom. Um, This notion of understanding the linkages between things is called system thinking. So when people support the campaign, they actually get access to this awesome book called System and Revolution, which I just read a a chapter of in the previous session. But System and Revolution, it's literally 40 years of uh, my knowledge about engineering systems um, uh, and what, what systems are, but made accessible to everyone. You don't need to go to MIT, you don't need to have a math degree, but in this small book you can understand what a system is and what is revolution. And then you can use those concepts with a tool that I created called Your Body, Your System. And those of you out of the country, you, you can't donate to the campaign, but you can literally go directly to Your Body, Your System, and you can you can go to Get Started Now, and you can get it there. But Your Body, Your System is an awesome tool, which is a health uh, enlightening tool where you can use the tool to really understand what kind of system you are, which is a red dot, uh, which is using systems theory. And then you can use the the, the the tool to figure out where you are today, which means if you haven't gotten enough sleep, if you aren't eating properly, that's the black dot, and how foods and inputs and everything can bring the red dot, I mean the black dot, back to the red dot. It's a really cool tool. Uh, you can use it to support your health, but that's not what it's about. It's an educational tool to really learn about how systems work. So I encourage everyone to do that because, in my view, unless we understand how systems work, people are always gonna be confused, always gonna be taken advantage of by those in power. That's what our campaign is fundamentally about. So everyone take advantage of that. And by the way, if you can't donate 25 bucks, donate whatever you can. And if you're really in dire straits, if you go here, we actually have a capability where we recognize, if you notice right here, it says we recognize people have economic distress. So do whatever you can, okay? But this is really meant to educate you. And that's what makes our campaign for US Senate quite unique it's really a campaign for truth uh freedom and health bottoms up so let me bring um april in april are you there let me unmute you hi april april you've been traveling and living out of hotels right so yeah, yeah.
1: So for the last um, couple of months i'm in actually one of their business um suites right now it's um two okay. months yeah probably another two months i think before they open the boardroom we can actually come back in
0: so, April, maybe you can just take a couple of minutes and let people know a little bit about yourself, how you found found out what, you know, what I'm doing and what got you interested. But take a few minutes just to share with people your background. Sure.
1: Um, obviously, my name is April Chandler. I'm a documentary filmmaker focusing on children growing up in the care system um, and human trafficking. I think it's um, a subject that is... People just don't realize that it's very close to them. And they assume it happens somewhere different to where they live, but it actually is everywhere. So for me, focusing on documentaries that were specifically about this topic was has really taken over my, my life for the last few years. Um, when I'm not doing that, I'm actually producing feature films. And I'm also an author of six books, including Wonder Life for Kids, which again, um, I, I did because I wanted children to become more empowered for themselves and you know, learn about suicide, learn about trafficking, learn about abuse, not trying and tiptoe around the subject, but actually teach them how to be, have preventative training. So rather than healing them after these things happen, um, so that's really me in a nutshell.
0: Great. So I I think one of the things we'll we'll do is I wanted to take before we got into our discussion, which sort of to set the framework as someone who does build technology every day. You know, in this book, The Future of Email, I wrote it uh, literally when the Hillary Clinton server issue was going on. You know, I, I the New York Times interviewed me to ask me my position. I said, well, clearly, I said she should be in jail because she had put the server in her basement so she could have her private email server. And one of the thing the books brings, brings out is that we're entering a world of the haves and have-nots. And I don't mean money, what I'm talking about the haves who will have their own private servers, they'll be able to protect their data. And the have-nots, all of us will be using free email where we give away our freedom, free services like Facebook where we give away our freedom and the real future is gonna be about censorship. And this was this was written about three four years ago. Interesting enough, for one one of the cool small business awards. But what um, I thought I'd read here is one section in, in the first part of it says "Wake up" is the introduction to the book. So I'll just read a couple of paragraphs. It says the more it happens, the more it's, it's the more the more it changes, the more it stays the same. I, I say this phrase first appeared in a, in a French literary journal in 1849. The phrase is worth thinking about in the context of our present day environment. When we tend to focus on the enormous changes and innovations that have taken place in the past few decades especially in the role of technology in our everyday lives i would i would be the last one to deny those awesome changes and this book intends to look closely at exactly how they work and what they will mean but let's first let's look first at a few things that have not changed at least since human beings stopped hunting woolly mammoths with sticks and stones and societies started to organize themselves the ancient Greeks and Romans, the Aztecs of pre-Columbian Mexico, the Mongols of Central Asia, the European monarchs of the Middle Ages, wherever you look in human history, societies have have been organized into elites and everybody else. The elites have always ruled and they're still ruling. Qualification for membership in an elite have changed and varied over the centuries, it was not always gender-based. Early on matriarchies were common, later military prowess skewed rulership towards males. Priesthoods also developed. Supposed connections with gods and goddesses conferred major uh, rights here on earth. The United States, technically speaking, is a representative democracy, quote, one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all, end quote. That's a beautiful foundation for a country, or at least an aspiration. But really the US is ruled by its own version of elites and oligarchs, and the oligarchs rule. As that French maxim suggests, The details have changed, but the basic system remains intact. I've chosen the word quote unquote system very deliberately. I'm a system scientist with four degrees from MIT. I've studied systems theory at the intersection of technology, medicine, and artificial intelligence for many years. I've learned that all systems, including political ones, depend on two essential properties. And this will give sort of a theoretical basis. The first property is observability. Observability. The, The capacity to watch the operation of a system in detail to recognize its trajectory which means how it's moving and where it's going and ideally to measure the input and output of the system at any point in time the second pro- uh, prop is predictability the ability to regulate the inputs in the inputs of a system in order to obtain an ex- expected and desired output for any system therefore whether it's a machine or garden or a whole society observability and predictability are the basis of control whoever wishes to control a system must know or observe exactly what the current inputs and outputs of the system are, and must then have the ability to manipulate the system's inputs to generate predictable outputs. By itself, none of this is inherently good or bad in a system of your own life. For example, observability and predictability are thoroughly positive when used for setting goals that can advance your your creatively, emotionally, intellectually, and even financially. Technology can be hugely beneficial towards achieving those goals. Technology can be a powerful tool for enabling each of us to connect with, to connect with, and express our innate and unique gifts, gifts as individual human beings. But technology can also take us in a negative and destructive direction, especially when it's controlled not by ourselves but by a distant, manipulative elite. So that's what the book starts out with. It's it's, um, uh, it's, it's a book that really brings people up to date on what's going on with technology at a very fundamental level. So. I know earlier, April, you and I were talking about uh, very briefly about how as as the elites consolidate technology, particularly, Mm -hmm. for example, the U.S. elites and the Chinese Communist Party work very closely together. There's China, for example, has 200 million cameras Um, cameras can read. read, They don't even need to hear. They can read, you know, uh, your mouth motions. And they can convert that to language and what you're saying and then they have a social score in china and in the united states that's already happened we don't talk a lot about it a lot of that technology was developed here and exported to china but what we're building is a surveillance state and some and we're told by the way this is always sold to us as though this is something for our own good right safety right this is for your We're watching you um but ultimately the amount. Of, so by the way, the Democrats are the ones, the way I look at the left, Democrats typically promote the safety argument, be it vaccine safety. People like Bobby Kennedy do this. You know, he talks a good game, but he's actually for safety. OK, he wants to actually regulate in the government. Trucker safety, you know, bank safety, right? You know, we got to protect people from the big banks. You, you know, we got to protect the meat meatpacking industry from hurting you. Uh, where we got it, so all the big the, the Democrat left typically talks about safety, but ultimately what they want to do is regulate and it in fact helps generate even more power and creates much bigger monopolies, which what the left Republic or the right Republicans like the establishment. So right. both democratic establishment the Republican establishment, one preaches safety and the other creates monopolies. And that's what's actually going on. But um okay. Yeah.
1: yeah. I mean I think the the first thing that happens when any government wants to change anything is they first have to get buy-in and the way to get buy-in is to create fear. And so once everyone's freaking out and in and scared then it's easy to move into phase 2 of what they actually want to do what their agenda is to change the system so that they have more control over the people. Now I think based on what you said earlier in terms of as you say the elites For me, it comes down to classism. You know, I'm not, I I don't want any harm to happen to the royal family, but we just don't need them. There, you know, we have, we should have evolved way past this um, notion of that we are the peasants and we have other people that are above us, ordained by God and they control us. Um, But we haven't, and we still hold on to, you know, it, it's, we're, we're being brainwashed on a daily basis by this. And I think until we get rid of the class system, then we won't be equals. And while we're not equal, we'll always be in slavery. Um, I know that some people think, well, we can't be slaves because we're not doing what people tell us to do. But well, we, we are because we get up, we go and do work. They need us because we're the ones that keep the wheels turning. And if we don't do what we're supposed to do, they can't live the life that they want.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, in the early, I think one of the things people are trying to wrap themselves around, there's a lot of confusion of what just took place. You know, in March, I think early March, I did a tweet which said, as an MIT PhD in biological engineering, this will go down as one of the biggest fear-mongering hoaxes intended to right. basically. Uh, you know, destroy an economy, just, dest- you know, suppress dissent and do mandated medicine. And so if you, if, uh, if you really look at it as from a systems perspective, fear is brought in and then yeah. the fear leads to a way to manipulate people saying, okay, we're going to protect you now, right? We want right. to make you safe, wear masks, right? Do this, lockdown, stay away. This is the regulatory model. And that regulatory model, if you really look, what it did was it actually destroyed many small businesses. Fifty percent of the restaurants were not going to open, but it consolidated power among the big. Dunkin' Donuts was open, McDonald's was open, Home Depot was open, Starbucks was open.
1: Yeah, all the massive chains, the ones that control.
0: Yeah, so those those guys did quite well, and then massive amounts of money got transferred to Wall Street, and then they threw some bones to the super poor. But at the end of the day the independent small business owner is the one who's getting decimated in this and, yeah. and as a part of that they use that fear to now impose more restrictions to do more monitoring to reduce freedom so right. truth is violated freedom is violated and ultimately health will be violated
1: well you know yourself Maslow's um, hierarchy system that when yeah. people are in that phase of comfort they have their needs met, then they're able to move themselves into the next phase of their lives. Um, and I think actually for some time, people have been getting into that phase and once they're in that com- comfortable phase, they have the house, they have food, they don't have to worry. Then they're in a, a place of you know, security that they can actually focus on, hang on, I'm not happy about the system. I'm not happy about how the governments are running things. I don't want to be forced to do this or this and this. So when too many people talk back, then the best way to actually get control again is to make people go back into the bottom where they're actually worried about the safety of their roof over their head, worried about eating. And that's how they then get control because people are so vulnerable in those times that they genuinely believe that when they come forward with, yes, we're here to give you... Comfort. We're here to protect you. That actually, people believe it when it's just really a ploy to get them back into the wheel.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think the I think from a systems perspective, you know, one of the things that I put in um, when I wrote System and Revolution, I, I was in Paris when I wrote it. You know, there was where the Paris Commune took place, and in the book, if you want to get a System and Revolution, what I said was. We have bread, but no health. We have land, but no, um, no freedom. We have, quote unquote, peace, but no truth. For truth, freedom, and health, we need to understand revolution. And to make revolution, you need a practical understanding of the principles of all systems. So when I wrote this book, it was really to educate people in a very small way, what are system dynamics? And what's happened, so one of the things that I feel the only way out of this is people need to be educated on how the principles of our systems work, April. Without an understanding of systems, we're gonna go through another generation of suffering, then people head into more oppression, and then another generation of suffering and more oppression. There used to be a theory that the more you oppress people, that people will rise up and change the world. It actually is not true. Oppression leads to more oppression. People get more depressed, they feel like they can't do anything. So yeah, I, I but that's
1: am that's the EU you know, the European Union. That's why I feel that it, you know, the UK decided to vote out of that system because they realized that that they were getting suppressed Um, and they were fighting hard. Some, you know, a lot of Brits were fighting hard to get out of that system. But you can see for yourself that when you fight hard, you have like massive pushback from other people because they genuinely believe in that they're there to protect us. But if you look at actually just the United Kingdom as an example, it can't fend for itself the, the being within the european union they've stopped all farmers you know from actually growing crops they have now built on the land so they've become now reliant on imports and because of that they couldn't even feed the british can't feed themselves and so now they're reliant on the eu it's a clever system if you think about it and that's how they control the people
0: Yeah. And I think there's a way out of it, though. I think if the individual, I think this, that's why when we, you know, I'm running for Senate, but it's not just a Senate campaign. It's really an educational campaign. If people can understand the intersection of freedom and truth and health and freedom and truth and health, um, each individual. And by the way, you don't need a lot of people. My number is you need about maximum 15% to get this in a population because the other 55% are what they don't know what to do. And there's about 25 to 30% of the people who control it on a good day. Right? Right. So this isn't a hard problem to solve, but people need to be educated with actual tools. And those tools yeah. are systems thinking. If people need to be able to say, you know what, that's connected to that, to that, to that, and if people can find those interconnections based on a scientific way, then they can feel confident to stand up on their own two feet and articulate these things because the truth emerges when you connect the dots. So, for example, if you take something like the Paris Accords, right, the elites and a lot of the elites who are the liberal elites in Hollywood and celebrities, they went and told people the Paris Accords was a great thing for them. The Paris Accords, if you actually read it. So if you go to the reality and you take a real systems perspective, first of all, you find out that it it incentivizes China to increase pollution. So. Two years ago, China was had about 11 billion metric tons of carbon they put out. According to the Paris Accords, they can double their pollution to 22 billion metric tons. No one even reads this. So well, we, yeah. So, so it increases pollution, but the the propaganda is that the fear is that the world is going to blow up, and we need to reduce carbon, you know, CO two. Meanwhile, China has is a lot is incentivized to double its pollution up until. 2030 and after that they will have to buy carbon credits and the value of those carbon credits on the stock market will skyrocket and a few people will become trillionaires so when you take a perspective the truth emerges out of that so my view april is we need to teach people how to think and if they don't know how to think i mean if you saw the COVID crisis go look at tucker carlson he's like oh yeah this is a big pandemic and it, you know, people need to take this seriously. And then he started literally recognizing what he was saying was nonsense. And now he's going in a different route so that the mainstream media people just watch which way the views are going right now. If, if someone like me starts getting a lot of views, they literally plagiarize stuff and they use it because right. there's nothing about telling the truth anymore. It's more about where they're going to make money out of it.
1: Right, it's about yeah, as you say, views and popularity. One thing I would say about celebrities getting involved in campaigns, I genuinely think a lot of the celebrities that do get involved really care and they want to do something. And I I work with a lot, so I know that on the surface they're genuinely trying to help people. But I think the problem is is that they're not what I would say. You know, if you look at insights modelling, for example, you have your reds, your yellows, your blues, your greens. They're more. In, they're not blues, which are tend to be your accountants, those that are looking at the details, that actually go through the whole agreement and look at the information. They're just getting told the brief summary of what it means and how it can help people, and then they jump on that because they think it actually means something.
0: So, what, do whereas, mean the, what do you mean the blues? I didn't catch that.
1: Well, you know, insights models. You have, like, four colors. You have your blues, your greens, your yellows, and your reds, and every person is basically those colors, but it's which which ones dominate more than others. So okay. you have people, for example, that are reds, they're your sort of directors, CEOs, that very much, they don't want to read anything, they just want to sign it. You have your blues, which are like your accountants, your lawyers that are very much about the detail, really spent in time going through every single agreement. And then you have the greens who are more caring, they're like your front oh, line. You're talking about
0: yeah. the characterization of these people by these, yeah, okay.
1: Yeah, so that's really what it comes down to. So I think what happens is that these organizations, they jump on the fact that the celebrities are creatives. They're going to be your yellows in personality. They're not interested in spending weeks and weeks going through, you know, document this thick to read it. They get a summary. And then the problem is, is that because they buy into the summary, they then start to regurgitate that to their audiences. And the problem with that is that people actually then believe it and because they're celebrities, people will start to follow what they do. And that's why we don't change. I think also in terms of humanity, as you mentioned earlier about the cycle, the cycle carries on while we have a class system, while we have the government set up the way they are, we can't be different to, to what we are now. We're going to become more suppressed because all we do is serve the 1% of the population that actually do make money. I mean, which companies are making money during the pandemic? There's only a handful. Amazon. You look at um, Bill Gates and and Microsoft. It's gone through the roof in terms of how much money they're making. Why is that? Um, I'm not just picking, you know, pointing out on him, but just in general, if you look, there's probably only 10 massive companies that are really making substantial amounts of money right now. And we know that we, the governments and people, the elite, the 1% of the population, as I call them, they make money from our suffering. So it wouldn't surprise me if there was some form of either civil war or war on the back of this COVID-19, because that then solidifies the future. They've got their long-term plan and it involves us being the the slaves.
0: Yeah, I think uh, 2020 will be a major inflection point. In my view, there's about uh, maybe 90 days to 120 days in this cycle because come September and October, which I've shared before, there's going to be another resurgence of this year because the next cycle of the quote-unquote flu will be here and you're going to see the next cycle the only way out of this in my view is that the people who actually produce stuff anymore small business people entrepreneurs um, must organize together and basically rally around some fundamental principles and i think those are truth freedom and health and then actually issue some very specific demands which means no shutdown can ever, I, I just tweeted this out. These are, we, we did a thing a couple of days ago. One issue is one demand is no business can be shut down by any government unless that sector agrees to it, right? Let's, because if it's bottoms up, another is you cannot um, in any way, um, uh, it should be illegal to force people to wear masks. I mean, I did a whole from a science basis. Yeah, actually serve no purpose. Uh, you 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 cough at them, and they come up, and the fundamental issue here is, if you take a room full of a thousand people, let's say one person there is immunocompromised, just one person, okay? What we're saying is the other 999 people need to wear masks, get vaccinated, do it, be locked down to protect that one person's health. The the model should be that one person. We should figure out how to boost his immune system.
1: Absolutely. But yeah. That-
0: that's so. This whole model is flipped. Instead of saying
1: in in, in helping people to get healthy, right? right. So you right. know, it, so that that's why no one's talking about boosting immunity other than yourself and a, and a couple of other
0: people. Well, that are for, you know, Bill Bill producers called this up, and he literally lifted what I was doing, and they started talking about it because he must have seen it was getting good views. But you know, this is a very simple thing. There's been eighty thousand papers written on vitamin D. Right. Well, well, we.
1: Yeah, look at Norman Cousins, what he he did, you know, the intravenous vitamin C and laughter as a way to cure disease. I mean, we have the ability to cure it ourselves, but that doesn't make anybody wealthy. And as you say, the, I, I think actually the masks do have one purpose, and that is actually can, to create more fear. So that actually is working for the 1% mm-hmm.
0: that
1: want, want, to, want that to happen.
0: Yeah. So the only way out of this is people need to go local and get back into building local relationships and communities among themselves. There's no other way out of this, but that the model of the entire model has always been to give our control away to others. And, and uh, it's been injected into it. So when you talk about the celebrity culture, I think it's a little more insidious than that. You know, most of the celebrities, there's two people that end up in Hollywood either really good actors, which is a very small subset, people who are actually trained actors. 90% of them want to be celebrities. And for every one person who becomes a celebrity, there's about a thousand others who could have done it, but they didn't sleep with the right person or weren't at the right place. And those <laughs> people who become celebrities are actually very insecure people. There's some of those. Oh, most-
1: oh. Yeah, but I think humanity is very insecure. That- no,
0: but, I, but I think when yeah. you are wanting, to get that much popularity and it's it's a very different thing and you knew that you got that job not because of any skill because you weren't frankly that skilled many of these people you were just at the right because many of them don't do the chops and really go and do theater or really get training so it's something else so what ends up happening in that world is these people get golden handcuffs and they are basically front ends for an engine that basically they willingly get utilized by. So if you look at the model of China right now owns all the AMC theaters, most of Hollywood is owned by China.
1: Yeah, you know, my funding comes from China, you know, for yeah. fairness,
0: you know. Yeah, so I think these people are more insidious than that. I don't think they're good people. I think they're willing agents and they make a decision in their lives for money and to keep their fame because many of them have one hit and then they lose their popularity. So they have to do something to maintain relevance. So in many ways, I think it's a little more insidious than that because if they had real skills, like they were true actors, right, actually put the time in, some of them took some course somewhere, most of them, and sort of got founded. So that entire culture where we is, is intended in many, many ways to manipulate large masses of people. and. Um, that's why I was sharing with the previous caller. In China, for example, you know who they have on their billboards? They have engineers, scientists, people who have skilled. Have, uh, an American, very famous engineer scientist went to China, very famous guy. No one knows about him here, but he said 5,000 people were sitting there waiting to get his autograph, okay? So in this country, we don't value any of that.
1: No, we no so, really
0: yeah, value
1: so, the yeah, same, but... That's led by the people as well. I think that um, they they just don't want to be what like in a normal world. Like life is boring. Life isn't that great. Life is hard. So let's try and boost their life and become something different. Hence, I mean, look at how much soccer players get paid. It's ridiculous amounts of money a week. Hundred and fifty thousand pounds. You know, two hundred thousand dollars a week to play football for a club. I mean, it's astonishing, and it's not justified. Um, so, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I have to say I do tend to look at things more from the positive aspect. You know, I, I did a, a show tour in the world for two years to show the, the, you know, the best in humanity against the backdrop of, of natural wonders because I do genuinely believe that it doesn't matter what country you go to, I've been to Bosnia, all of these different countries, people just want to live a good life. Mm-hmm. They, they do, but right. we create this negative aspiration. Um, and I think if you actually spoke to any of the actors and said, okay, what did you really want to do? Like when you was younger, some would probably say veterinarian, you know, but it just didn't pay for them to do that.
0: Yeah, well, yeah. Well, I think that's where principles come in. And I think everyday people, have you know people actually common sense people actually have skills they will live by their principles and among the celeb- celebrity crowd there's like i know this reasonably well. there are people who have actual skills they'll walk away from jobs because they actually have skills daniel day lewis does probably one movie every five years okay because he's actually a skilled actor Right. Most people are not skilled they didn't put the time in so that's why they sell out because they actually have no skills And so they're very, very related to politicians. 60% of Congress is lawyer lobbyists. They don't, they have no skills. If you, if you actually have real skills, you can always go back to the farm. You can always go back to your job. So you will take a principled stand, but when you basically have no skills, you basically prostitute yourself, be it a politician, be it an academic. In academia, this has occurred in academics today are not the most skilled scientists, they know how to play the game. So you've seen a complete um, loss in all institutions um, of essentially the lack of skill and what gets promoted is the people who play politics. And yeah. so, yeah, so I think the only way out of it is skilled people, people who actually, um, skilled workers, people actually work, it gets back to something very fundamental. What is
1: it? out pride for yourself I mean personally you know I choose to do the projects I do because I'm actually really passionate about that project they don't actually care about money one of the things that you know I, I look at money in the same way if I was having a conversation with a chimpanzee and they had bananas and I had cash why would they want that cash because they can't wear it they can't eat it it actually serves zero purpose for them whereas the bananas are going to be very useful and so for me, every time I do something, um, it, I, don't, I don't look at how much money I'm going to get. I couldn't care less. I, I go for the projects and I do the things that I actually enjoy. Um, but it's hard for people to feel like that because they don't feel comfortable in their own skin. And that's one thing I really feel that we have become a healing cure society. And really what we need to be is a preventative. Like you said, educate people ahead of time. If we can educate people when they're younger to be actually happy with who they genuinely are, we wouldn't have these problems. We wouldn't have people shaking in their boots in fear right now, having anxiety, panic attacks, worrying about a virus. When, if you look at some countries, Sweden, they've just saying, we cannot get rid of coronavirus, this coronavirus. So we're just going to learn to live with it. We're going to manage it. Okay. We have to just get on with life, people. And that whether is this virus or another one that's going to hit us, you know, we have to be. If we are taking care of ourselves, then we're never going to be in that place where we feel vulnerable enough to be taken advantage of.
0: Yeah, someone just tweeted to me or on Instagram said that California had more suicides in this period than it had coronavirus deaths.
1: Yeah, and it, and the thing is, for me, I, I did a project on suicide in Europe.
0: Yeah.
1: I in the in the UK compared to every other country in Europe, teenage um, suicide suicides in boys is the highest in any other place. And I think two things is that they eat a huge amount of junk.
0: For teenage suicides in boys, is that what you said? Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. In the UK, compared to any other country in Europe. And the um, the US has a huge proportion of, of suicides, but I think that problem actually isn't getting any better. You know, they don't feel that there's any hope. What I call wonder, they hope. They don't feel like there is any hope. There's nothing to look forward to. Um, So they just decide that that's not not an option for them to stay living in this world the way it is. I think part of that is that they're completely injected up to the nines with however many vaccines they can be given. from a child all the way through until they get to a teenager. And then they get fed McDonald's and all the other rubbish that's there. In the UK specifically, they have bus tickets and on the back you can get a meal from McDonald's for 99 pence. So like $1.10. And interestingly, all McDonald's, the way that they're situated in Europe, they're always in the poverty areas. That's their model. They don't go and and put a McDonald's near to an area where it's very wealthy because nobody will eat it. So what they do is they prey on the the people that are living in not so nice circumstances. Same with drugs. That's the thing with trafficking. Traffickers don't take wealthy kids. They take the kids from poverty areas that people are not going to really notice or care about.
0: So let's focus a discussion on, um, let's see, uh, um, so so April, why don't we focus a discussion, because uh, people are asking here on the surveillance state. So uh, at a very um, uh, immediate level, there are technologies being deployed, which we know are out there, right? Which we pretty yeah. much have been around for a long time, by the way. When I came to MIT 1981, the third floor of the computer science building at MIT was known as the CIA for. On the NSA, you know, this is in the 80s. So most of this stuff has been going on for a long time. The NSA basically gathers lots and lots of data, petabytes worth of data. So this is, mm-hmm. so I find it sort of interesting because people are alarmed now, but this has been going on for probably at least 50, 60 years. Just got, almost, it just got- because
1: of, I, you know, because of the web. I think people are more aware of it.
0: Uh, the, computing has gotten faster, you know, independent of the web, the technology has just gotten superior, you know, you have, I mean, this device here now has more power than, you know, probably 30 mainframes 30 years ago, the amount of actual how much you can pack into a transistor, the, this, the computing power of these devices, and what you can put on a small chip has gotten exceedingly powerful, the cameras have gotten better. So There's Mm -hmm. massive, massive gains in technology that have taken place. So the ability to surveil people, you can always use it for good things too, has gotten enormously powerful. Um, So the, the question comes in, who owns that data and where is that data residing? And I think maybe we were talking earlier about the data can be used. I mean, theoretically, you could probably use this kind of data from the medical side to detect stuff a long time ago, You know, detect which populations need Im- immune boosting and which need help, these kinds of things. Or you can use it for essentially um, predicting behavior mm-hmm. and behavior, and then utilizing that behavior. So if you know uh, someone in a household behaves like this, this, and this, you can figure out what to sell them. The consumer packaged goods companies do this.
1: But, yeah, they do that now. I mean, basically everything mm-hmm. that or, I mean, that's why sometimes when people think something and then all of a sudden they see an ad come up on Google and they're like, how did they know that? It's because they're predictable because they're, everything they're doing leads them to be sold those type of trainers, that type okay. of
0: if, if you turn on your voice, your voice on and Siri, it's actually gathering all that data. So you could be right. having a conversation and it's gathering that data. So, But ultimately, I think this comes down to uh, let's talk maybe a couple minutes. minutes. Um, you were saying that the child traffickers, I think about 800,000 kids per year in the United States are found missing.
1: Yeah, um, so it's, it's just over a million kids mm-hmm. per year in North America.
0: Yeah, so what, so, so,
1: uh, and that doesn't yeah, count the, the Native Americans or the first nation because they're not actually added to those lists. So when people disappear that are Native Americans, no one actually... That's
0: you were, so you were saying that with this surveillance technology, people could also use that. Let's say, a kid is going from, you're saying from their home to school and back, and you watch all this stuff. You know yeah. when the kid is in a potential area to nab the kid up, right? And this is
1: right. How- the thing is, what will happen is that parents will start to oh, they're okay because we've got them under some form of surveillance, so we know exactly where they are. They'll give them a little bit more free reign to go to places by themselves because they're under now this protection. But then what happens is that as we know, crime syndicates are, are very smart, they're very entrepreneurial. Drugs, guns and trafficking, it's, it's the biggest crimes worldwide and, and human trafficking is the third highest. So you think selling a human being, which you can actually buy now for $90 um, is a big business but it's big business when you have the numbers. And then of course, then you have the secondary revenue from the trafficking because they are then sexually abused online and people watch them. So why would anyone think that these um, criminal lords are not gonna become creative and use that technology? I mean, hackers have been hacking into every system since the day there was a system. So hackers are going to continue to do that and they're going to get access to information about these children, about their gymnastics classes, about where they are. And and that I believe that the the number of of kids that be trafficked in North America will actually go from probably a million to probably five million within two years because it's going to be easier because they're going to know every single thing about the kids.
0: Mm, Where are these kids being sold to?
1: It, different places. You're saying All you
0: can buy a kid for $90?
1: You can. You can buy a person for
0: $90. Like where? Where, where are people selling these people? Are there actual markets?
1: From, yeah, From South America, um, from Romania, from the UK. It doesn't matter. What tends to happen is that they're more ethnic minority because there's if if it was a white middle class or upper class family, they'd probably be causing such havoc to try and get their child back. Whereas if you have, you know, thousands and millions of Hispanic kids or African Americans, who's going to really kick up a fuss? Mm-hmm. But this is actually the rea- reality. Pakistan, they have India have the same situation. In some cases, what happens is that there's orphanages. People feel that oh, these poor little children, they happen to be in an orphanage and then they'll actually donate to the orphanage, but the orphan orphanage is actually one of the, the you know, the sort of the front of the crime. So an example, um, a man will go into a village when a woman's pregnant in Africa and they'll talk to the woman and they'll say, you know, you're living in poverty, you can't really afford to eat, but what we can do is we can give your child an education, we can give them a bright future. Okay, Let's just make take care of your, all your medical needs right now. You don't have to worry about it, but just sign here because we want to give you medical to make sure that your baby is born healthy. So the women obviously can't read and write that well. They sign the document. And then when the baby's born, they, the w- woman gets a bill for the, the medical care. She can't pay it. And the contract that she signed means that they can take her child. And people say, well, why would anyone do that? But what happens is they take the child to an orphanage, then they promote it all over the world, and everyone goes, oh, that poor little baby. I'm going to donate right now. I'm going to donate to that orphanage. But that money never goes to the child. It goes to the crime syndicate, who just keep doing the same things over. And then these kids are abused and trafficked as long as they're they're useful and they work and do the things that other people don't want to do. It's actually... You know, it's it's something that we've been doing for centuries. We just don't seem to change, and now we're using technology to help.
0: So that kid that's taken from that from that orphanage, they grow up and then they're sold to what? Well, they,
1: they they now are the property of the people in the the orphanage, and then when they get to an age where they're no longer cute and they can they can't serve the purpose of actually raising any money for the orphanage, they're then sold. To someone else that can be used either for sex or for a, as a servant, um, online for abuse, you know, sexual abuse, where you have thousands of people watching from around the world paying to watch, you know, while someone abuses a little boy or a little girl. I mean, it's a big business, it's the third largest business in the world, the crime. Hmm.
0: Well, I- What's interesting is we did a, um, we had a a bunch of women um, on in the United States, mothers, and uh, we were talking about um, family separation, the child protective services. So it turns out that's become a $1.2 trillion industry in the United States. This is in the United States, 50% 50 more bigger than the defense industry. The defense budget in the United States is $750 billion the United States central government distributes to all the states about 1.2 trillion dollars to quote-unquote protect children and by the way that was brought to you by Hillary Clinton
1: which when you actually look at the money spent the outcome is actually it's not positive so I I've, I've gone through this conversation a few times about how like the UK system is that Um, The children that end up in the institutional care system in the UK, it costs billions. Obviously, it's a smaller place to the US, but it costs billions of pounds each year. And then you look at the outcomes. Most of these kids end up young um, teenage pregnancies, juvenile detention, drugs, um, crime. They they, end and. actually 48% of them end up in the prison system when they get of age. So they actually trade one institution for another. Whereas when you look at actually how much it costs for a child to go to an elite boarding school where they'll learn two languages, music, they'll get connections, great um, friendships, social skills, all the things that you need to actually survive and do well in this world, that would cost about thirty-five thousand pounds in the UK to go to one of the best. But yet, for each child that goes through the care system, it's around hundred, you know, and fifty thousand a year. It, right. doesn't, it doesn't work, it and that is actually the cost for them as a child. Forget all the other things associated.
0: Right, to- right. but it makes sense, right? So the elites send their kids for lower cost to better education. The rest of the people pay much higher price because other people are making money. It turns out in the US, um, if you can call, let's say you hear someone fighting next door, someone can call the Child Protective Services. They come and take away the kid up to a year, let's say. The foster care is getting paid almost um, allocated about 5000 to $10,000 per child. Let's say 7K, so that's $70,000 per year, but only 10, 10 to 20% of that goes to the foster families everyone right. in between is making money off that the lawyers judges
1: absolutely and- it's a massive business it's, it, and to me it's another form of you know of human slavery human trafficking it's just that it's somewhat legalized and we don't know it's happening um, if you have autism in, in hospitals in the US or if like you're in um, not in hospitals in institutional care if you have no family Most of these autistic kids when they become teenagers are actually strapped to beds in hospitals because people don't know what to do with them. They're not given quality of life, they're strapped to a bed Mm -hmm. because they have autism.
0: Let's talk about, we have a couple, that's about um, 10 minutes. Let's talk about what's the solution because I think in every one of these areas, I think people get it. And I think unless there's a solution, people are gonna get very depressed I see a lot of people writing stuff about how bad it is. I I see a minuscule set of people writing how you solve this.
1: Right, well, I personally petitioned um, the parliament in the UK to end institutional care because I think that becomes, that's the issue. There are so many families around the world that actually want to adopt kids, but they make it so hard because they want to make sure that it's the right family, but then, that wouldn't actually help their big 1.2 trillion business if they allowed these kids to go into these lovely families and be adopted. That, I feel, is the solution, is that we end institutional care worldwide. We don't have a system where these kids go into any form of fostering children's homes, um, juvenile detention, that we actually coach them the way we would uh, our own children that actually stay with us, to live a good life by ending institutional care that actually gives us the opportunity for children to go straight into families if we didn't have the governments as tight as they are what would stop you meeting some nice kids and thinking you know i'm going to give one of them a home i'm going to give i'm going to take them under my wing and give them a good life but you can't because there's so many tight regulations and yet most of the abuse that goes on in foster parents and children's homes is astounding, and they don't regulate. You know, they think that they they're regulating them, but actually, they're just continuing the system. I, I feel that children deserve to be in loving family homes, and if you wouldn't put your own child into an institution, then we shouldn't allow other kids to be in an institution.
0: Yeah, well, I think the issue. Um is that I don't think those in power are gonna do anything about this. I think you have to build a bottoms up movement, April. I think going and appealing to them has never worked in any world. Nothing ever systemically changes. The only way out of this is to build bottoms up movements.
1: Well, that's why I made the documentary film. Yeah. I went and, and into the US and I filmed in three um, states, three cities, Los Angeles, New York, and Denver. The reason why I picked those three to show what institutional care is like and how these kids have been brought up is, and actually there's a lot of positive stuff. You'll see like how the kids are. Some are troubled, some are really, they want a good life. They're keen to learn. They, They want to get a good education. They don't want to move around every three months. That starts to inhibit your ability to have a good education. And as you said, having that education is fundamental to change in our society. And the more we can educate people, the better. So with going into, I didn't want to just do East Coast and New York, and then people say, well, it only happens on the East Coast. That's why I did West Coast and Denver. I mean, you can't get much more suburban than Denver, you know, and and it still happens there. It's everywhere. Um, I also feel that there's one thing that people don't realise is that with the homeless that are in LA, 30% of those are actually children living on the streets. I mean, when did our society become like this so that that was acceptable, that children are left to live on the streets? I mean, America's supposed to be regarded as the richest country on, you know, on the planet. But yet people are, you know, children are sleeping on the streets. And we, you know, we so-called call India and other places third world countries. Well, that's we would expect children to be living on the streets there. But what Los Angeles? I mean, look how wealthy it is.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's the hypocritical elites. And I think that's why, um, in my view, people need to let go of these icons, of these celebrities, these lawyer lobbyists, and the entire top-down model. And the sooner people do that and let go of the not-so-obvious establishment, it's not the establishment. It's the people who claim they want to help you. You know, the nonprofit organizations, the liberal elites, these people are in many ways are the deeper enemies of people than even the overt elites. It's easy to attack Bill Gates. It's easy to attack uh, Fauci and all these people. It's harder to expose a guy like Bobby Kennedy. Okay. And that's why I did that. It's harder to expose the liberal elites like Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders, because these people talk a good game and they basically are popular. Probably- they're basically the poverty pimps mm-hmm. what they do is they build their little brands around their celebrity around other things and they are actually the people who enslave people and i think that that aspect of it is is what common sense people get and, and the sooner that happens the sooner we're going to see alleviation of human suffering because Well, you just mentioned with the orphanage and showing bloated babies in Africa, blah, 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 blah. And if you look at the character of those people, they're all typically the liberal elites because they want to wash their own. guilt.
1: Yeah, it's socialism at its best.
0: Um, It's, It's socialism, but it's also, yeah, it's that, but it's also the aspect of people building their brand equities on the backs of other people. So you have the establishment and then you have the not so obvious establishment. A guy like Bernie Sanders talks a lot of nonsense, but at the end of the day, he will give all of his votes to Hillary Clinton. You have people attacking Gates, but they won't attack Hillary Clinton. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And that's what's happening historically. People, um, you know, you go again and again and again, and you will see that the real enemies of people are these Judases. And I think what needs to happen is, in one of the things that we're educating people on is, you're not, because that not so obvious establishment is actively used to make sure no social change ever occurs. Like you have to go beg to somebody. Let's go right. to the governor, let's go back to them. It's This is a wrong approach. You have to build a bottom of movement. Now it takes a little more effort. But that's ultimately, in my view, what has always changed history. But the most important thing is for people to recognize the not so obvious establishment.
1: But if you look at happening in Australia as an example Hmm. they're trying to pass a new modern day slavery bill but they and you think well why would they need that but the reality is is that the original slavery act has so many loopholes now because of technology and everything else that they actually keep getting off when it goes to court so they have tried to pass a new modern day slavery act through the parliament in Australia and they actually most of the liberals won't support it it's, you know, and it absolutely is, but it because it and it maintains this cycle. So I agree, we can't uh, rely on, on governments to actually do the work for us. We Not have to talk governments, about it.
0: Yeah, it's the governments and the people, particularly if you look at the ones that claim they want to change things when they actually serve to funnel the direction right back into the establishment hands. And typically the the litmus test of that is do they want more regulations? So if they want more government regulations, that should be a red flag for people. That what they really want to do is to make it easier for the establishment to give the appearance they're helping you, but they're actually doing more control. But that little subtle thing is what people need to understand. Um, You know, when when I was in Washington, uh, we were delivering the Fauci petitions, and there was this huge uh, bunch of, I think about 500 truckers in front of the White House. You know they really had heard about what we were doing and we had a big discussion late into the midnight. And it turns out in the United States, 15% of the trucking industry is controlled by a few major trucking companies. Um, I mean, 15% of the goods are transported by a few major trucking companies. The interesting news is 85% of the stuff that gets moved in the world, all the stuff that we have in our homes is done by small truckers. So what happened was the... Uh, liberal elite said, oh, my God, you know, people are getting killed on the roads. Apparently only 30 people had gotten killed by the big trucking companies because they basically take some young kid and say, look, we'll make you a truck driver, put them through their factory farm of trucking schools, get them. But um, those people were killing people. So what they did was they imposed a restriction or a surveillance, talking about the surveillance state, where every of those other 3 million truckers had to put a little device in their trucks which would track how long that they were moving and they said that they could only um, run their machine which is their truck for 14 hours so before they were they had very you know normal level of accidents once they put those machines in all those small business truckers the level of accidents escalated two to three per day why because they were rushing from point A to point B because they had to do everything in a 14-hour cycle um, because they're being tracked. Right now, the big trucking companies have two people driving trucks, so they have a little more flexibility. And on top of that, all this data is being extracted eventually, so they could have you know AI trucks, you know automatic driven trucks. Right. But the, the liberal elite always said, "Oh yeah, yeah, we have to do this for the safety of somebody." And Hillary Clinton did the child. CARES Act, whatever that was called, it for the safety of the children. So whenever I hear the word safety, like now it's really clear to me, it's typically some liberal elite, vaccine safety, right? Child safety, driver safety. It always is about creating more of the surveillance state. And I think- Right. It-
1: yeah. I mean, if they really genuinely cared about the kids, why have, you know, going back decades have A million kids disappeared in north america every year so they don't care that much about kids i mean if you look at road traffic accidents it's a small amount compared to actually how many disappear i mean these are not statistics made up i mean these are you know it's public records it's it's police stations you know where kids have disappeared so they can't to introduce all these care acts you know yourself it's purely because they think the audience actually will believe that but we have to get people around the idea that actually if we truly care then we need to make changes for ourselves and that I personally if if I had to be in a city which had all that surveillance I would go and live in the woods in the mountains somewhere I mean I'm currently in British Columbia and it's absolutely amazing I'm up high in you know the, the sea to sky Um, and there's no surveillance up here or very minimal, you know, maybe traffic camera or something like that, but I just wouldn't want to live and have my children live in, in a world where every single thing that they do is tracked. I would literally delete. And well, my profile, my Facebook profile was deleted because I made uh, a comment. Um, and they, they said, I didn't, I was sharing fake, fake information. (laughs) So they deleted me. And I, I just think, um, that's what's going to happen if you express yourself. If you say something that's not actually following the script of what people want you to say, then you're going to be cut off, and th- that's what will happen across social media. We'll all be cut off from saying, expressing ourselves, unless we're following what we're told to say. Yeah, and what type of that's going to be a place to The
0: good news is, there are solutions to this, and their bottoms are solutions never gonna to come top down. All right, April, so any final closing questions, comments?
1: I would just say that um, if anyone thinks that surveillance actually is there really to protect them, it really isn't. It, an example of this is people always assume that borders are there to keep people out, but they're also to keep people in. And we've had this example right now with COVID-19. That's why, to be honest, I would actually prefer to have, I know people say, well, I'm very much about utopia, have a one world type scenario, but actually I think that really is probably the only solution to actually having freedom where you can go wherever you want on this planet. You wouldn't, um, because borders, more surveillance is just gonna create more poverty, more classism and and long-term suffering.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, I I think there are technology solutions, you know, one of those solutions is bottoms up. There are ways that we can ultimately what needs to happen is all needs to be peer to peer. And it it needs to be the network needs to be owned by people.
1: Uh,
0: The United States Postal Service was set up by the founders of this country to enable me to send you a communication, and no one should interfere with it. Now, when the digital medium came they never kept up with it but the founders of the u.s constitution created the postal service to support that infrastructure so my view is that there are some incredible solutions which is what i wanted to that's what that's what we're running on you know citizen science for example the data of science should be owned by citizens and these are things that can be implemented these are not sort of fairy tale solutions anymore the digital rights act that we propose will allow um which basically will um Force the Postal Service to deliver, let's say the equivalent of Facebook, uh, YouTube, in an environment that's on a network that's owned by the people for the people. And this already exists with the Postal Service. So anyone interferes with that communication is 20 years since in prison. And then finally with healthcare, healthcare and the Health Rights Act we propose, the 1962 Kennedy Vaccination Act should completely be taken away. But they tried it, they've tried it because it leads to mandated medicine. So in my view, there's three things that can actually be done that devolves power back to people, Digital Rights Act, Citizen Science Act, and the Health Rights Act. And these are things that literally support truth on the science side, because right now maybe about five university presidents can can, uh, can own science, how it goes. And And so when you fund, when our taxpayer dollars fund, an academic institution in this act, all of that data should go up to the cloud and any one of us can analyze it right the digital rights act basically says use the postal service infrastructure to provide a network which is already right now it's there if anyone interferes with the postal mail it's 20 years in prison but when you send email through or messages through facebook or google they own your email so people have really right. people have willingly that's why i think people are whining a little bit here when people right sign up to Facebook and YouTube and Gmail, the privacy statement clearly says they own your email. What we need to do is to realize we're taking that stuff for free, and then we're whining that they're censoring us. You see what I'm saying? So, so there's a uh, there's a reality that's taking here, which no, basically
1: read the small print. That's a perfect example. Is that unless you're an accountant, unless you're one of those blues in the insights model you're not gonna read. So they, they have such a long um, terms and conditions that who's gonna actually read it? That's well, what they rely on. If,
0: even if you don't read it, there's a notion that something comes for free. Even if you didn't read their 100 page thing, the bottom right. line is that nothing in life is free. Um, and so when we create an environment uh, thinking, and we don't go bottoms up, we, we've been trained, I think, to think top down that we have to go beg to people for crumbs. And all of these activist leaders, do I call the poverty pimps on the left and the right, everything that they've done is to mislead people to go beg, to do stuff with legislatures. These guys are, we noticed in the vaccine movement until we got involved for 15 years, people have been begging to legislators. We said, go on the ground, build a militant movement bottoms up, and that's why we won in New Jersey. So-
1: When I removed my visa um, coming into the US, because of the time of the year they wanted me to get a flu vaccine and also an MMR now that was going back say eight years ago and I'm like the MMR I'm in my late 30s for goodness sake why would I need to get the MMR but they when I I sort of pushed back like I didn't want to do it they said well that's okay you can pay eight hundred dollars and um we'll submit it for review and I said well how long would that take and they said oh about nine months So I would have to wait nine months before I would even get back into the U.S. And that's where, so I was like, oh, fine, I'll have to get the MMR. I'll have to get the flu jab. And so they push you into these corners in order to force you to do it, Um, which I really, I just think it's a violation to do that. But that's what they do for anyone that wants to come into the U.S. Yeah,
0: Alan Dershowitz just did a a video saying that, he justified that the United States government can vaccinate you. They can do anything they want to you by the law. So that's why I'm convinced that we have to build a bottom-up movement. And there's no short-circuiting around that. It has to be a bottoms-up movement. And it has to be built by people who actually have the most to lose. And the people who have the most to lose are the independent-minded people who are self-actualized, or the entrepreneurs, or the innovators, who are the small business people who take um, take risks and if they don't do that in my view there's about a 90 to 120 day window this is not a long time frame no. that the level of fascism is going to escalate much yeah. much more.
1: yeah so. and if you're an entrepreneur um and if three you know free thinker they're not going to want you around um yep. and that is actually that's dangerous then yep you know you can't express yourself so um i really hope that i mean for me i'm on my campaign this is something i really believe in i'm gonna you know i still will be pushing people don't follow what you're told actually look into it um don't be influenced by the left or the right just think for yourself what's best for you what's best for your family and um, so i do think that the more people that take action the better i know it's not easy for people to you know to come to that decision when they're they're starving or they're worried about paying their rent or their mortgage, which is what this situation has created. Um, But they should, if they understand that that's been created in order to get them into this place, it's like a chess match, you know, this is where they take control and we have to, you know, talk with our feet. And if we don't do that, things will end up getting much worse than what they are right now.
0: All right. Thanks, April. It's good to, with you let's stay in touch let me see if there's anything on instagram here all right great thanks thanks april be well let's stay in touch thank you and i wish you the best in british columbia
1: thank you you too bye-bye thank you bye
0: um all right i think that was pretty good we talked about the surveillance state again in closing Uh, What I want to say is tomorrow, I'll be in Fitchburg, Massachusetts, which is in Central Mass. It's a great, uh, I'm sorry, Lemonster, Massachusetts, L-E-O-M-I-N-I. Jen, maybe you can put that up um, in Lemonster, Massachusetts, and I'll be um, with our bus, and we're starting our ground campaign all across Massachusetts. Nearly every day, I'll be somewhere in Massachusetts. We have lawn signs, bumper stickers. People want to join us, please do so. Um, Once again, if I share with everyone the 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 website that way let me add this here Um, if people go to the website uh, and want to learn more about the campaign um, it'll be up there in the events section but people can volunteer for the campaign uh, which is right here if you want to support the campaign if you're in Massachusetts you can just click your pledge to vote for us and part of the pledge that we're doing right now in Massachusetts is we want people to pledge and from a truth, freedom and health standpoint, to really, uh, if you wanna support the campaign, that's one thing. You know, if you wanna donate to the campaign, you get the book and you get access to the tool, your body, your system. But another way that's, we're, that we're also putting together and everyone should be aware of is um, a couple of uh, uh, last week, we actually put forward to people, what is it they would like to see, you know, from a um, perspective on the things that we should stand for. And there's five demands that came out of that. One is that people should pledge that if you're in any business, you should never allow your business to be shut down by the government unless, you know, 60, 70 percent of your other people in the sector. So if you're in the nail salon sector, the government should, shouldn't be able to just set it, shut it down unless 60 to 70 percent of the other nail salon owners believe in it. Number two, if you have a senior citizen is in a nursing home, no one should be denying them the ability to have someone come see them. if you you're you have you a parent and you have a child and you're sending it to a school and the school's starting to do wacky things, social distancing, having your child wear masks, and you want to pull that kid out, you have the you should have the right to be able to get the same amount, the dollar per pupil that the government spends back to you so you could use it for homeschooling. And so these are the kinds of things that I think we should start demanding. Um, it can't be just be sort of sitting back and watching all this take place. So um, anyway. This is Dr. Shiva. Uh, We need to start building a bottoms up movement for truth, freedom and health. We we cannot rely on legislators, the lawyer lobbyists. It needs to come bottoms up. So keep an eye out for us. If you guys wanna, um, uh, if you're in Massachusetts or your friends in Massachusetts and you want me to go to different places, I will be taking our bus and traveling. So uh, please let us know. Thank you very much. Be the light, be well. Thank you.